Episode 12 is about Kate Shower and Nicole Santa Crochet, both full-time working moms who are going to talk about how they have been balancing work and childcare, virtual school, and everything that is going on right now, having that all meshed together in their homes in one place during this time of COVID-19. Welcome to We Built This Life. This is the podcast that tells stories about entrepreneurs, freelancers, and other business owners who have built their working lives from that first inkling of an idea into careers that help them make the impact that they want to make on this world. My name is Jennifer Walker. I'm a freelance writer, and I love to hear stories about people who have built careers that are meaningful to them. So on this podcast, you'll hear from people who have done just that. They're going to talk about their path to their current work and the risks they took to build their careers from the ground up. Thank you so much for listening today. Hello there. Welcome back to We Built This Life. I'm so happy that you are here listening today. This episode marks the beginning of season two of this podcast, which is very exciting, and I'm recording it weeks later than I expected to. My kids started virtual school. If you haven't listened to the podcast, I have three kids, ages eight, six, and two. So we've been busy with that. And then I've had some freelance work, which is great. So those two things, obviously my kids and their education and my writing work, uh, I have to make sure that they're taken care of before I can work on the podcast. So it's kind of pushed me back a little bit in terms of the show, but that's okay because it kind of perfectly fits in with the theme of today's show, which is working moms and COVID-19 and how they are balancing everything, work and kids and school and some of the challenges that come with that and how they are addressing everything. So today I'll be featuring two moms, Kate Shower and Nicole Santa Crochet. They are going to talk about how they have been balancing work and kids during this time of COVID-19. It's the end of September now, the last six plus months when many schools and businesses have been closed. And both of these moms have full-time employers, so they don't work for themselves, which is usually the focus of this podcast. But they are working from home right now, and they have been since the spring. And I think that landscape looks similar for working parents in many areas right now. A lot of schools are still virtual or families are choosing to go virtual for many reasons. So whether you have an employer or you're your own boss, I think think this balancing things during this crazy time kind of, you know, fits for all of us. Also, I think being a parent who is with the kids nonstop since the pandemic hit is also really hard. That was my role in the spring. I didn't have any freelance work. I think March, April, and May, it was really quiet for me. And then I picked up some work in the summer. So that is absolutely a challenging position to be in too. But because this podcast is about career and work, that's what I'm going to focus on today. So a little bit about Kate and Nicole. They were my childhood friends. I've known them since second grade or earlier. Kate and I knew each other when we were very young because our parents were friends. And I was telling her when we were talking, I have such a clear memory of being in maybe first or second grade and we were standing on her porch in Baltimore City. Kate's family had had a row home and her dad came out onto the porch and said to Kate, who do you like better, Debbie Gibson or Lisa Lisa and the Colt Jam? And I was thinking in my head, please say Debbie Gibson, please say Debbie Gibson and please take me with you. And I think I even asked to come. I said, oh, can I come too? And it turned out that Kate said Debbie Gibson and her dad got tickets to the Debbie Gibson concert and I got to go with them. It was my first concert. I don't remember anything that happened in the show. I couldn't tell you where we sat or any memory of Debbie being on the stage, but I remember that moment on the porch so clearly still to this day. Then Nicole, her parents and my parents live sort of behind each other, depending on which way you're facing. So I remember doing all kinds of childhood things with her from second grade, kind of all through high school. So just as an aside, one of the cool things about podcasting is that when I interview people I know in real life, have known sometime throughout my life, I learn so much more about them. And that was really true of Ryan Sullivan, the realtor from episode two. I went to high school with him. He's someone who I've been in touch with from time to time over the years. I see him kind of here and there. We have some of the same friends from high school, but I learned more about him through our interview than I have through any of those in-person interactions over 20 plus years. 
And that has turned out to be the case with Kate and Nicole, too. So it's, it's kind of funny how that works out, how being in this interviewing position really allows you to learn a lot more about a certain aspect of your friends' lives, which is pretty cool. But circling back to today, so Kate Shower is now a digital marketing specialist with InSource Solutions. And she has a 12-year-old son named Mitch and a husband named Randy. She lives in Maryland and she worked outside of the home before COVID-19. So she's going to talk about, of course, her career, but also the challenge of having her work and parenting roles so intertwined and how she has dealt with that, about her son Mitch's health. His immune system is compromised, so she talks about that and how her family is obviously making decisions about school and social interaction based on that, and about her anxiety in general, but also during this very stressful time, and about the things that have helped her deal the most with all of the changes that have happened since March. And then on the other side of the United States in California, that's where Nicole Santa Croce lives right now. She is an enterprise product executive at iSims. And in this role, Nicole sells the company's talent acquisition platform, which is essentially human resources software. She has a husband, Sebastian, two kids, Gia, who is almost six years old, and Leo, who is three. And Nicole will talk about the same things Kate is talking about. So her career path, managing kids at home while working, but her kids are, you know, obviously a very different age. You know, Kate's son is 12. Nicole's kids are six and three. So she'll talk about the challenges that come with having kids that are the age that her kids are. Before we start, there are three things I wanted to say. First, the idea for this episode came about because I thought the spring was really, really hard. As I mentioned, I have three kids and having everybody home all the time was really hard. And you know, in this parenting realm, because this role of being a parent is so intense for so many of us right now. And I feel like every parent probably feels the same way to some extent. So personally, with my own bubble of things I read and see online, I was noticing that in the spring, I wasn't reading a lot about the challenges that parents were facing during this time of COVID-19. I think people who are able to stay home, even if they were balancing working kids, felt lucky to have that choice. You know, there was kind of this feeling of everyone being in this together. That was the vibe I was generally seeing anyway. And that if you had a job that you could do from home, if you were still employed, that that would was a lucky position to be in. And I I think probably everybody still feels that way. It's definitely a lucky position to be in. But as the summer came, I started to notice more essays about the parent struggle, the struggle for kids, the mental health effects of, of this time on parents. I'll link a few of those essays if I can go back and find them in the show notes, which will be on my website, webuiltthislife.com, so you can read them there. But along with these essays that I was reading, I realized that I personally had a hard time balancing everything. And like I mentioned, I wasn't working a lot for those first few months. I didn't have a lot of freelance work, And then I picked up a few stories over the summer and now I'm working for a couple of clients, but those first few months were slow and I still struggled. So I really wanted to hear more about how parents who are working full time have been handling everything. I personally had one very small but memorable experience back in my early freelancing days of trying to work with having kids at home. At the time I I had one child, she was under the age of two, And usually I had help from my parents if I was doing interviews for a story. But sometimes the interviews I had to do were really short. Like if I was just looking for a quote or just some background for a story, I may only talk to someone for 10 minutes or less. And I I would feel bad calling in my parents for such a short amount of time. So I would sometimes try to do those short interviews while it was just me and my daughter at home. So at one point I was working on this story. I think it was about a professor of engineering and his work. And I traveled to DC to interview the professor. I had the story almost completely written. My deadline was the next day, but to finish it, I still needed a quote from a physician who the engineer was working with on this one particular project. I knew where the quote was going to go in the story. I had a good idea of what the physician was going to say, how he was going to respond to my question. I figured that I probably would need five minutes or less. I was on a time crunch. I thought, okay, I'm just gonna try to do this while my daughter is at home, but it'll be fine because I don't need much time. I'll put on a Sesame Street episode. She really liked Sesame Street then. And the opening segment is about 12 minutes, which is more than double the length that I thought I needed. I got her all set up in the living room and I went in our kitchen. 
and called the physician. And as soon as I had him on the phone, my daughter started loudly yelling about the episode I had chosen. I hadn't picked an episode that had Abby Cadabby in it. And she yelled all through the three minute call. Thankfully, I taped it because I had no idea what that physician said. And you feel embarrassed and unprofessional. Maybe it's a little bit different now because every parent is in the same situation, or many of us are, of working with kids at home. And I think people are understanding of that. But I've just been thinking thousands of people have been working at home with their kids and no outside help. And how are they making it work? You know, they need to do it for longer than the three minutes that I needed. You know, on one particular day, they're doing it for eight hours a day, five days a week or longer. And how are they making it work? So I wanted to talk to some moms about just that. I should also say that Kate and Nicole, they actually do not talk about having really intense struggles in the spring. Like I mentioned, they're both still employed. I do not think they've known anyone close to them who have been affected with COVID-19. So it's this is not that kind of story, but they do share what their days have been like and what has worked for them as far as managing work and kids and school and really having all of these roles intertwined within the same space. So I hope that hearing these stories will offer some commiseration to other moms out there and maybe also some ideas for managing this time while the kids are at home and you're working at home. Okay, second thing, I asked Kate and Nicole about what virtual school looked like for their kids in the spring, but I didn't include that in this episode. I just don't think it's relevant now. I know virtual school for my kids looks a lot different than it did in the spring, and so I'm not making that part of the story. And then finally, a disclaimer, I know this is a very long introduction. So both Kate and Nicole said that they realized that in this COVID-19 world, they are in a lucky position. I mentioned that earlier. Kate articulated this really well when talking about how she isn't someone who has had to be out in the public for work during quarantine, and I'll include that audio as part of her story. I do think that most of us who have been able to stay home during quarantine times do feel lucky about that and grateful for that because a lot of people don't have that option. But hearing them say this, because both Nicole and Kate did mention that about how they felt like they were in a lucky position, it reminded me of something that a therapist said to me years ago. I was in therapy for most of my 20s, and I remember one time telling her that I felt ridiculous for worrying about this thing that I was worrying about. You know, I was fixating on this thing, and I couldn't get past it, and in the grand scheme of things, it was insignificant. And there are so many people who face much, much more difficult challenges, and why was I focusing on this? And she said that, yes, that's true. People are facing much, much more serious problems. It's important to be aware of that, absolutely, to be aware of your luck, to be aware of your privilege and to be empathetic towards other people and what they are facing. But she also said that despite all that, we still have challenges in our own lives on a daily basis, just within our own little bubble. And if we are always thinking about that other people have it worse and not allowing ourselves to feel the feelings we feel about our own challenges, then we're never really going to allow ourselves to feel anything because somebody else is always going to be in a worse position. You can always make that argument. So it's important, and more than that, it's okay, I think, to acknowledge when we are facing, you know, some challenges, even if we're lucky in comparison to others, so that we can work through those feelings. It's a balance for sure, but I wanted to say this in the beginning, this disclaimer, especially as it relates to the pandemic. So when you listen to Kate and Nicole talking on this episode, please know that even though they are talking about what their experience has been like as parents who are balancing work and kids during COVID-19, they both told me that they both know they are in a good position and that they are grateful for that. Okay, let's get into today's story. Before Kate Shower joined InSource Solutions 11 years ago, InSource is a company that offers hardware and software solutions as well as consulting for manufacturing and industrial settings. Kate had several work experiences in a variety of industries. She went to Goucher College in Towson, Maryland. That's the town that Elaine Bennis is from, if you're a Seinfeld fan. And after initially starting out in pre-law, she decided that wasn't for her and that she wanted to give radio a try. She interned for a morning radio show called Kirk, Mark, and Lopez on 98 Rock here in Baltimore, and then worked briefly in radio after college. And in her role then, Kate was a board up. That meant that she would run pre-recorded programs overnight, and she also produced a jazz show on Sunday mornings. But her time in radio was short-lived. I decided that the part-time hours, the crappy pay, and the lack of health insurance were no longer worth it. Went to work full-time for Crate and Barrel, who I'd worked for during college. Worked there for two years, and then left. I took a year off 
from a very generous allowance from my husband, who thank God had a full-time well-paying job at the time. He's actually been with the same company for almost 20 years. And then I went to work at Johns Hopkins for a while. I worked for orthopedic surgeons. I did that for about two years. And then I found a job in marketing with a publisher. So there's a, a medical publisher here in town called Walters Kluwer. I actually worked for the Lippincott Williams and Wilkins branch. It was my first job in marketing, happened to hit it off really well with the hiring manager who became my boss. She was my mentor for about two years, which was awesome. And then I have this tragic, tragic story where 2008 hits. I'm heavily pregnant, as in like going to give birth any minute, and they do a reduction in force in that April. So my last day was April 30th, 2008, and my son was born on May 13th, 2008. I was really kind of unable to look for a job for a while because, you know, you have a baby, you can't do a whole lot. And I had a, I had a rough experience with my birth and I had some health issues and stuff. So there was a, about a six week period where I wasn't allowed to do anything. And so by the time I was ready to look for a job, it was fall 2008. And we all know what happened then. It was actually kind of a crazy time. So not only did I lose my job, my husband who works in defense contracting, they lost their contract at the same time. My blood pressure went up like through the roof while I was pregnant. And we're still all assuming that it was due to stress just because there was so much going on. But that was the health issue I had. So I wound up on blood pressure medication for a couple of weeks. And luckily, Mitch was born healthy. I don't think he was ready to be born at the time that he was born. He was like, no, I was good. Thanks. But they had to induce me. So it was stressful. Of course, I had to apply for jobs in order to qualify for unemployment. And that was right when unemployment had been extended from whatever the normal amount of weeks is. And then it was extended to 26 weeks. And then it was extended to 52 weeks. I wound up in the interim doing some substitute teaching. I had friends who were teachers. And so I would specifically substitute at their schools. That was actually helping. It at least got me out of the house. And we did keep... Mitch in daycare the whole time because, you know, we didn't want to lose his spot, which is a huge deal. It was the only daycare I was, con I would even consider sending him to at the time. It was really kind of funny. The teachers at the school thought I was just basically a kept woman because, you know, here I was sending my baby to daycare, not working. And I drove what I guess people would think was an expensive, fancy car. I had a Hummer H3 at the time and it was relatively new. And so, you know, it was this whole big thing. But it turns out that, no, I was not, in fact, independently wealthy. I just couldn't find a job. And so I worked really hard to try and find work. And then I fell in with InSource and it became home. It really did. So I credit being there with my current boss, who is our president and CEO currently. And she is just amazing to work with and for. And so it's been an experience where, you know, it's had its ups and downs, but it's a worthy company and they do worthy things. And I feel good to be a part of it. So today, Kate is a digital marketing specialist at InSource, and she loves her job. She talked about how it's a 60-person or so company, and it feels like a family there. And up until March, she did work outside of the home, but in Maryland, schools closed in mid-March, and Kate began working from home like so many people. And this is how that played out for her and her husband, Randy, and her 12-year-old son, Mitch. My son goes to a private Catholic school, and he was actually away, the sixth graders, take a one-week trip to North Bay, which is up in Cecil County, up in Elk Neck State Park. And they were away. We got the word, I believe, that Thursday that this was going to happen. They came home Friday. They had to bring everything home with them. They had to clear out their lockers, get all their books. And then on Monday, we started with mostly like worksheets and busy work and that kind of stuff. And then the Zooms started shortly after that. It was kind of a crazy time. He was a little upset because he might not enjoy the academic part because, you know, what kid really does at that age. But he really struggled missing his friends and, and that piece of it. He did well, but he was struggling with some of it. And it was hard for him to really concentrate on some of it. The math was hard. And Randy, I make Randy teach math. It's not my strong suit. I'm a much more English language arts kind of person. And so 
I would handle the grammar and the spelling and the those pieces. We did divide and conquer, but it was there were tears, there was frustration, and there were tears on all sides. It wasn't just Mitch. <laughs> it was, you know, it was a struggle. It really was up until the end. And my husband actually started working from home in January. He works for a very large defense contractor and he's worked at Aberdeen Proving Grounds for almost 20 years. They decided to reorganize the physical office he was in and he travels probably 70 to 80% of the time. So he's rarely home because he's going to Oklahoma or he's going to Colorado or he has to go to Texas, you know, different places like that. And so he lost his permanent office up there. So he had already brought everything home at the end of January. So he was pretty much working permanently from home when he wasn't traveling. So that worked out well. And then his company has decided that there is no travel, there is no re-entering the offices until at least 2021. And they're still not sure about when in 2021. And then my job, luckily, we are all very disparate. So we cover the southeast part of the United States, Maryland, south of Florida, west of Arkansas. And so we're all spread out throughout that area. And we do have three physical offices. And I do work in one of them here in Baltimore in the Halethorpe area. And so we were able to to work from home relatively easily. And so it started with, I just had my laptop at home. I hadn't brought home any of my stuff that I needed, all the ephemera I need to make my office work well. And so for that first week, it was a little rough trying to create a schedule for Mitch, trying to make sure that, you know, we could get our calls in when we needed to, and he didn't need us in the middle of them. And then eventually I settled in, I got, I went down to the office and got the rest of the stuff I needed and all that. But it was touch and go there that first week. It was really rough trying to explain to him, oh no, I'm on a webinar. You can't just come in. I have customers on the line. You know, it's different when it's just my work folks, but when it's my customers, I can't be interrupted. So we set up some things to help us with that, but it was, it was a learning experience for sure. And then Mitch is older than I realized, so I would guess he's pretty independent. He kind of does his own thing. Yeah, but the trade-off there is the whole electronics thing, right? So trying to monitor what he's doing, when he's doing it. I had put a ban for a very long time on Fortnite. I coached his soccer team, and they would all talk about it constantly, and they would fight about it, and they would argue, and they would get really nasty with each other. And I also feel it's really, really easy for kids to bully you when they can't see you. It's easy enough for them to bully you when they can see you, but when they can't see your face or your reaction, it's a lot easier. And so I was always afraid of that with him. He's very sensitive. I don't want to make it sound like he's picked on or anything like that. It's nothing like that, but he's just a very sensitive kid and he could take things to heart that I don't think he should. And so I finally gave in and let him have Fortnite and be online with his friends on these games. Minecraft is huge, you know, those kinds of things. And so we set in place some gates so like he only has so many hours a day on the xbox and he only has so many hours a day on his phone and and those kinds of things because i don't want him doing those constantly but it was a struggle for him at first because when he didn't have schoolwork to do he didn't know what to do and he was constantly interrupting us i need something to do i'm bored i don't know what to do and i'm of the mind that it's okay to let kids get bored to an extent when they become intrusive or destructive then you need to kind of steer them elsewhere And so we set up a schedule and I'm a very type A personality. I run by my calendar. I run by my own schedule. I personally use the Pomodoro method when I work. So, you know, 20 minutes of work, five minutes of break so that I can be more productive. I've just found that it helps me. And then I'm not getting distracted by a million things and I feel more accomplished. And so I kind of set him up in a similar way. I gave him a schedule of when he could watch TV. We told him he couldn't get up until a certain point in the morning because if it was up to him, he'd get up at you know 5.30 in the morning and start watching TV. We didn't have Netflix and Hulu and all these things when we were younger. So it wasn't like we could watch TV consistently episode after episode you know, without blinking. We had commercials or eventually something would come on that we did not want to watch, <laughs> you know, like, I don't want to watch that infomercial or, you know, the 700 Club would come on and we'd be like, no, that's not what I want to watch right now. But he doesn't have that. He has the privilege of he can watch the entire 17 million seasons of Naruto and even the ones in Japanese if he wants. Setting limits for that was a struggle. He's 12. And so the attitude is strong. <laughs> it is there and it is strong. He's relatively respectful, but he has his moments. And so trying to, to manage that was, was our biggest struggle. So this fall of 2020, Mitch's school did open again. Kate said that about 60 to 65% of the students are attending in person. 
But Mitch is not. He's doing virtual school. And that is because he has a kidney disorder. He takes medication that can weaken his immune system. So that adds another layer to everything that is going on during COVID-19 for Kate and her family. It's obviously, it's really the factor in everything they decide as far as schooling and social interaction during this time. So I talked to Kate in early August, and even then she had already reached out to the principal at Mitch's school to let them know that if the school opened or if they had a hybrid model or were full-time, that Mitch would, of course, be choosing the virtual option. Mitch cannot physically return to school. So he has a kidney disorder. It is not life-threatening. It is something we've been dealing with since he was four, but he takes immunosuppressants for it. And we just started a new immunosuppressant in March that actually transplant patients take. And so that already suppressed him, and then he relapsed. And so when he relapses, he has to go on prednisone, which is another immunosuppressant. So he is very vulnerable. And his doctor and I discussed it, and we both feel that there's no way he can safely return to school. Unfortunately for him, any kind of contraction of COVID-19 would be a hospital stay immediately. And so that's not something we want for him, and that's not something he wants. And it's not something his school would want for him either. What does a relapse look like? So it's kind of interesting. So I kind of have to step back a little bit into the beginning. When little kids swell from being ill, they don't swell in their hands and feet like you or I would. They swell in their face, their trunk, and their genitals. And so poor Mitch, he had swelled up, his eyes swelled shut. He was all swollen in his belly and even further down, and he couldn't walk right. It was awful. And originally, the very first diagnosis I got, which was from an ER doc, was that it was this life-threatening form of this disease, that we would be lucky if he lived past five. And so he was immediately sent to a nephrologist at Hopkins, which if you're in the Baltimore area, anytime you get sent to Hopkins, if it's not your regular place that you go, is like, oh my God, I'm dying because it's the place you go to fix the really hard problems, right? At least that's been my experience. And so we got to the nephrologist and it turns out he has, it's called idiopathic nephrotic syndrome and it's minimal change disease. So what that means is that idiopathic is you don't know where it came from. It just happens. They've kind of connected it to immunoresponses that break down the system. So anytime he spikes a high fever, if he gets strep throat, if he even encounters something that his body's trying to fight, he could relapse. And then the minimal change disease means that if they were to take a biopsy of his kidney, it would not look different than a normal healthy kidney. And so thankfully, both of these things are things he will grow out of. He will most likely, once he is fully grown by the time he's 25, he will not have any signs or symptoms of it. There will be no lasting damage to his kidneys, and he should be able to live a perfectly healthy, normal life. But from four to 25, that's a long time. And these kids are broken down into kind of three categories. One is they get it, they never relapse. They have one instance and that's it. Or they get it and they relapse every once in a while. And then there's Mitch. They get it and they relapse frequently. I think we're up to 10 or 12 relapses at this point in his lifetime. And so it's more annoying for him than anything. We have to change his diet when he's on prednisone because it can cause hypertension. So we have to cut back on all the salty foods and, you know, what do kids love to eat? Chicken nuggets and pizza. So (laughs) that doesn't work well. And then, you know, so it's inconvenient for him that way. And then we have to keep him from doing things. For example, when it rained last Friday, he couldn't go to camp because they were going to be inside. And even though they were wearing masks and they're being so super careful, we just couldn't take the risk. And so a relapse for him, and it's kind of funny, we have a we have kind of a joke in the family now, which is, I guess, a little bit morbid, but I know, I instantly know two weeks before he actually relapses. We test his urine for protein, and that's how we know when he's, he's relapsing. And I knew he was relapsing about two weeks before the numbers actually proved it. The doctor can't do anything until he actually relapses. And so I can't connect with the doctor until he actually relapses. So it's a little frustrating for me because I'm like, I know he's relapsing. I know this is happening, like, but I can't fix it yet. But he swells, his face swells, his eyes puff up when he sleeps. He carries a lot of fluid in his ankles now, now that he's older. And in his trunk, his belly gets really distended. He has very skinny ankles and very big feet. So when he swells, it looks like he has tree trunks for legs, which is a little scary. And then the other thing we have to watch when he's on the prednisone specifically is it can cause blood clots in the legs. And so we have to keep an eye on that as well. 
Do you think you'll keep him home until a vaccine is developed? Yeah, that's our plan at this point. We need his immune response to be there. My husband and I have been talking about it, and the doctor is, is pretty um, confident that uh, that's what we should do as well. And I, I implicitly trust his doctor. He's, he's amazing and responsive. And I mean, I could call in the middle of the night and I would get a response within an hour. Um, he, and he's been with him since, since this all started, but, uh, the doctor and I've already talked about the fact that, you know, we need him to get a, a vaccine as soon as, as, a viable vaccine is um, available. And so of course I'm watching daily for more information on the tests that are going on and, you know, checking with the CDC and, and the reliable resources and things like that so that we can make sure that um, he's able to get that. And all three of us will get it as soon as it's available and safe to do so. So shifting gears, one thing I was curious about as I was working on this episode is how mom identity has been affected by the pandemic. And for Kate, who, you know, as I've said a few times now, works outside of the home usually, it has been a challenge to have both of her roles, that of a marketing professional and that of a parent, so meshed together. So at first it was rough. I have anxiety. I'm treated for it. I had a a virtual telehealth call with my therapist. I highly recommend therapy to anybody who needs it. It's been a lifesaver for my family, my extended family, as well as myself. In some situations, a real lifesaver. In other situations, a mental health lifesaver. And so the first few weeks, it was rough. I had massive anxiety. I had a rough time trying to turn off work, turn on mom, turn off mom, you know, those kinds of things. It was all kind of together. And so one of the things that kind of helped me was creating that schedule that really made it easy for me. So what I would do is, you know, at nine o'clock in the morning, Mitch would come up, we'd write out all of his assignments for the day. I would go through and check all of the teacher's pages and make sure we got everything, which made me feel better because then I knew that we didn't miss something and that I was on top of it because there's that mom guilt of, you know, your kid misses assignment. It's like, oh my gosh, that was my fault. He should have done that. And so that helped a lot. There were days where I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to look at anybody. I would hide in my room and read or do something like that and ignore the guys. I mean, they understand that to an extent. But at the same time, when you're a mom, no matter how old your kid is, you're the one that's needed. You know, you're the one that's wanted for the issues and the the boo-boo, so to speak. Ours are a little more internal nowadays than uh, scraped knees and things like that. But it's hard to turn that off. It's one of those things that you're constantly going, okay, well, did I do that right? Or I shouldn't have snapped at them or I shouldn't have done this. And so you can, you can get into that cycle of beating yourself up really, really easily. And so therapy helped with that. And then the other thing that helped was just explaining to everyone that, you know, we each need our own space. We each need our own time. Give me this amount of time to get myself together and we'll be good. I'm that person, like when I work outside the house. When I get home from my drive home, which is usually about an hour, I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to look at anybody. I want to go upstairs. I want to take off my work clothes. I want to take 15 minutes and just take a deep breath and not think about making dinner, not think about any of it. Just have a minute. And you don't get that when you're home all the time because you're home. And so you're thinking, oh, well, I should do this or I should do that or I could get this done. And and so it's never ending. That has been a struggle. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you just said. I was in therapy for probably the whole decade of my 20s. And I think it helped a lot. Yeah, I've done it off and on. And I've needed it in different seasons of my life. Two years ago, I, ha- I actually hit rock bottom. I was never suicidal. It was never anything like that. But my anxiety was so bad, I was literally debilitated. I couldn't move. I couldn't eat. I couldn't express anything. And so I went and saw my primary care. He put me on some medication, which did help, and then recommended therapy. And so I found a therapist who I adored. I saw her for a little over a year, and I've gotten to a place where I can call her when I need her. There have been some silver linings for Kate too these last several months, and I'm not even sure that silver linings is the right word. It can kind of feel weird talking about that because many, many people have lost their lives. Many families are hurting either because of of loved ones who have been affected by COVID-19 or jobs that have been lost. And like I said at the beginning, Kate is uh, where and Nicole is too. And they very eloquently acknowledged all of that. But we're talking here within the bubble of, of being able to stay home and everything that comes up along with that. So Kate talked about the challenges, but she also talked about some of the things she is grateful for as well. We're close-knit as it is. It's just the three of us and our dog, who really is just like another child in the house. But 
I think that we've become closer, which is good. I'm much more in tune with what is going on with Mitch and his friends. We have had some contact with our friends. There's a couple other families that we know are doing the same things we're doing. They're practicing social distancing. They're taking this really seriously. And so we've allowed Mitch to visit with them and they visited with us and things like that. Mitch turned 12 on May 13th. And so we had a driveway party. I got a great big sign for his front for the front yard that's a happy 12th birthday, Mitch. And we had people come by. They drove by. We live on a we have a, a traffic circle at our the top of our driveway. And so they came by and saw him. And you know, we social distanced. There was no hugging. There was no touching. <laughs> but he got to see his friends, which was fun. And we got to see family that we hadn't seen in a while. And then my husband's been on a fitness journey for about a year and a half. And so I decided to get on the bandwagon and I've lost about 25 pounds since the end of April. That's been great. And, you know, we've been trying to stay active and all of us walk and I make the boys work out with me every once in a while. I do an online workout and when it rains like today, we'll all work out together and that kind of stuff. So fun stuff like that. So in the last few months, there are a few things that have helped Kate get through everything that has been going on. And there has been one life motto she thinks is important to live by, especially during this time. The number one thing is having a job that is flexible and understanding. I can't imagine having to work outside the house and having to, especially in in this environment, and having to deal with the public and be at work and worry about my kids. That was probably number one, being able to be flexible. Number two is definitely a schedule. I am a schedule person. I, Like I said, I live by my calendar. If my calendar reminders don't go off, I'm lost. (laughs) And so setting a schedule for me, setting a schedule for my son, and to an extent, my husband, it really helped a lot. And number three was just remembering, and this may seem very superficial, but taking me time, taking the time to take a bath, taking the time to even just brush my teeth in the morning or get up and get dressed, those kinds of things. Taking that time to work out has been huge for me as well. And so having that that 30 minutes or that 10 minutes or that however many minutes I need to step away. And I wouldn't be able to do that without the partner I have. I mean, he's an amazing dad. He's an amazing husband. And he's very understanding. And we've known each other literally forever. So it's been a journey for us too, but having him be able to step in when I need him to, or, you know, if I say, you know, I'm, I'm tired of cooking, I don't want to cook anymore. And he'll say, okay, I'll cook. I'll take care of it. And that's a big help. I mean, I know my situation is a lot different than other people's. I don't have to work outside the house. I have one kid, he's older, but I think that it's valid to understand that everyone struggles. Everyone has those times and this is unprecedented and it's unusual and it's okay to not feel okay and it's okay to need help and even just if that help is calling your best friend and saying oh my god my life sucks and I can't get away from it you know that kind of thing I think is okay and that's what I have to try and keep in mind now I make it sound so easy but it's it's not it's not an easy thing I think too, it needs to be said, it's not just the frontline workers, it's the workers who work at Starbucks, it's the workers who are out there in jobs where they cannot work from home, they may not have childcare, they live paycheck to paycheck, that's hard, it's a struggle for them. And recognizing that is part of it. But being kind goes a very long way. I've seen with my own two eyes, people at the grocery store getting upset with the checker because they weren't moving fast enough, or they didn't do something right, or they missed a coupon or something like that. And it's like, you know what, these people are out here literally risking their lives so that you can buy your sparkling water and your fat-free yogurt. You could give them a break. These are kids. These are people who are trying to provide for their families. The same the rest of us are, but they don't have the luxury of being at home. The flip side of being at home, though, is you're stuck at home. (laughs) You know, it's the same four walls all day long, every day. So that can be a drag too. But I I just try to keep it in perspective. I don't have it as bad as somebody else could. In fact, I have it pretty good. So let's move over to the West Coast of the country where Nicole Santa Crochet lives. She's in California. As I mentioned, she has two kids, a kindergartner named Gia and a three-year-old named Leo. She is an enterprise product executive doing technology sales for a company called iSims. And sales in particular is a field that when she was younger, she never saw herself being a part of. I actually never thought I'd be in sales. I was always shy when I was little. So I didn't really ever think sales would be a career that I liked. 
And I originally went to school, Towson University in Maryland, to be a teacher. And fortunately, was student teaching during the time that 9-11 happened. And I did not really like the way that the schools handled how the kids were feeling. It was more political than I thought teaching would be. There's push and pull between the administration and the day-to-day teaching. So there's a lot of directives that the administration people that usually have not had teaching degrees, they usually go to school for business administration. And the way that they want you to handle things is not really realistic, I would say, for a normal teacher, especially for teaching school for middle schoolers or high school. That's a really nice way to put it. So I ended up leaving the fields and kind of drifted for a while. I didn't really know what I wanted, what I was going to do with an English degree, (laughs) basically. So I was waiting tables after that. I didn't know what to do, where I was going to go. I mean, it's, I, I just felt lost. And I had a person I was dating at that point in time. And he had said, one of the things that I think might make you good in sales is that you know how to listen. And I think you might be successful. And tried out for my first sales job. They taught me a lot. And each time I've gone to a new company, I feel like I learned something new. And one of the reasons sales is an attractive field for me, besides being able to support my family, every day is a little bit different. I think to be a salesperson, you really have to care about what your solution is and how it's going to help that company or that person. And if you do care and you do have empathy, it's a good field to be in. I think that's a good way of putting it because I think a lot of people think about sales like it's a business. It's about making money. We're trying to push our products on people. But looking at it like you're actually trying to help people and fill a need that they have and understand what that need is. I I like that. Yeah, it's a noble profession if you're doing it right. And I'm glad that you brought up that perception about sales is that a lot of people think that they, they think of like a used car salesman, if I'm being honest. And people like that don't last very long in the field. They are not going to be able to get repeat customers. They're not going to get referrals. So if you're not going to dedicate yourself to actually helping the companies that you work with, it's not going to be the career for you. That reminds me of, I used to work in fundraising and I really hated the aspect of like, it felt like selling the nonprofit, like you were trying to sell it to people so that they would give you money. And somebody said, no, you have to think of it like people want to give. You're just trying to find the right place that they want to donate their money and make a difference. And that really just kind of changed it all around in my head. I had never thought of it like that before. Yeah. The one of the things they always say to us is people want to buy. They just might not know what they need. And people have a hard time from the inside identifying their gaps. But yeah, it's that's exactly it. So California also closed up about six months ago in March, you know, mid-March. And so this is how that played out for Nicole and her family. Things came to a grinding halt in the middle of March. And when I say grinding halt, I mean everything. So California got shut down fairly early. So one of the things that happened almost overnight is that I'm working from home. My husband's working from home. And my daycare got shut down for my younger child and my daughter went from a full day in school and an aftercare directly to home. So it was chaos for a while and sometimes still is. It seemed like because everyone was being thrown into it at the same time, there was a lot of grace given, but it was still very, very stressful. I already worked from home, so there wasn't too much of a change for me personally with my job, except for the fact that my pipeline meeting companies that I was currently working with are on track to start working with us in a few months. That completely vanished because everyone wanted to just hold on to the cash that they had. Some people had furloughed workers, so they didn't really need the HR software anymore that I was selling. And so from a financial aspect, it definitely hit me hard. So we have a base salary, which if you really need to, you can live on it. But nobody gets into sales for the base salary. So you have a certain projection of what you expect to make on average every year. And before the pandemic, we were doing great. I mean, the economy was humming and we were doing really, really well. So I had no reason to expect that I'd make anything less than what I was expecting to. And now that's kind of been cut in half. The one thing I will say is that I mean, every company that I was working with and companies like iSims, 
everyone went through layoffs. And so we did lay off a chunk of our workforce, not as bad as others, but we definitely had to cut people and I still have a job. And so no matter what else is going on, I still feel lucky that I'm able to work and that I don't have the added stress of looking for a job during this time. Nicole's daughter Gia is in kindergarten. She was in pre-K last year, obviously, when the COVID-19 virtual school stuff started. And then Leo turned three in June. So in the spring, he was still two years old. And because I have a son who is a little bit younger than that, but pretty much around that age, he's two and a half. I cannot imagine having a full-time job with a toddler in the house and getting anything done without any help. That just seems really hard. And then Nicole also brought up a really good point. You wonder about what kids are going through and how they are processing everything. So this is how everything played out for Nicole's kids. I think any kind of younger child isn't going to understand what's going on. So one of the things that was good about my older daughter is she's got the wherewithal to understand that this is kind of like how it's going to be. But my younger son doesn't understand. And so he went from having a lot of playmates and going to a daycare that he liked every day to just staying home with us. And so that was definitely most challenging is trying to keep him entertained. And I'll be honest, all the screen time and iPad rules that we had went right out the window. It was just survival mode for a very long time. Yeah, there was a great video about that. Do you know Glennon Doyle Melton, who wrote like Untamed and Love Warrior, I think? She had such a good IGTV video about how these are desperate times and, you know, you do something with your kids in the morning and then the TV goes on until the night and then maybe you play the game. But it's like TV or screens all day to get through it. (laughs) Yeah, totally. It's like Netflix is your mother now. Yeah, right. So Nicole's husband, Sebastian, is a project manager for a company that focuses on online platforms, either mobile or desktop. And so he's at home as well, working full time. Nicole has always worked at home full time, but now her husband is home too. And what has helped them make sure that they have their meetings covered and are still able to work while taking care of their kids, you know, making sure Gia was able to complete her schoolwork and that Leo was cared for. What helped them was talking and actively working together as a team. So really communicating to make sure that their career needs and their children's needs were all met and that they were working together. One of the things that was helpful is that my husband and I would just pull our laptops at the end of the day and say, okay, what do you have tomorrow and who can move what? Because besides the fact that, you know, we've got to make sure that Gia does her schoolwork, it's just making sure that our son is taken care of as well. So we can't just leave him to to his own devices. So I think the biggest thing is just constant communication. Like things can change for his schedule and also on my schedule as well. So just making sure that we had each had time to focus on our work helped thing is, though, when you're working from home and your kids are at home, your mind's not always 100% on your work. I was probably giving 75%, and some days it was 50%, and some days it was 25%. I mean, things come up from just having everybody at home and having schedules conflict that you can't always do the things that you used to do. And I think that's frustrating, but it's just kind of a reality that you have to accept because there's nothing you can do to change it. So for Nicole, this sort of silver lining of schools and daycare being closed, being virtual and work and parenting being meshed together has been more family time for each of the four members of her family. Sebastian is able to spend more time with the kids and with Nicole and Gia and Leo are also spending more time together. The thing that I really like is that my husband has never spent a lot of time with the kids during the day just because he's been at work. So he would leave for work around 10 o'clock in the morning and then not get back until 7.30. And so he might have an hour with the kids before bed. And now he's a lot more involved. And so I think for him, and especially for the relationship he has with our kids, it's really improved the relationship. And I thought when he started working from home, I was like, we're gonna be together all the time, shut in the house with the kids we're going to kill each other. 
And it hasn't happened. I mean, honestly, I think just because we both are going through the same thing, I mean, we're both stressed out and there are times where, you know, we're a little bit short with each other, but we haven't really gone to that point where I'm like, oh God, I can't wait for him to go back to work and I have the house to myself again. I mean, I, I genuinely like having him at home and I know the kids like it too. And I think Leo, especially since he's been with us since March, he might have a hard time going back to daycare. I mean, I think he loves being around us and I think he loves having a sister around all the time. I mean, like they are really good playmates for each other. So I think that's going to be a tough transition, especially for him, because him being so young, he doesn't really understand how things are going to be one way one day and then another thing another day. It's very hard for him to have consistency during this time, but I think it's going to be even hard when that consistency goes back to him being at daycare and being away from us for eight hours a day. So my last question for Nicole, just like with Kate, was about the three things that have helped her during this sometimes, oftentimes, you know, stressful, challenging time and sort of true work from home virtual fashion. My husband had to jump on an emergency Zoom call while I was interviewing Nicole through Zencaster and the program that I was in just happened to cut out by coincidence or maybe we had overloaded the system. So I wrote down her answer because I, I loved what she said here. So what Nicole said is that she is really trying to take care of her health by doing cardio, yoga, weight training every day. And it's not for weight loss. It's not from that perspective, but taking care of herself helps her feel sane. She's also gotten creative with getting her kids outside. She picked up things for them that would have normally been Christmas or birthday presents, like she got a splash pad and a bubble maker. And then she mentioned two other reasons that I want to read in her words. And the last one especially stuck with me. So this is Nicole talking. She said, my husband and I communicate a lot better now. Instead of the normal when the pandemic was going on, was your day good? Was your day good? We like to dig into each other's day and listen when the other has had a hard time. He feels heard. I feel heard. We're accepting that things aren't normal and won't be normal for a while. I've stopped waiting for things to be normal. I think even when the pandemic is over or there's vaccine, I don't think things will ever get back to how they were before the pandemic. I think remote work is going to be a lot more accepted and I think that's a good thing. And I think a lot of people now don't have problems sharing what their life is like beyond work, especially in Silicon Valley. I think here, if you're a woman, you're expected to work like you don't have kids, but everyone does, especially when you're 41 or close to it. It's helped us break down that wall. All right, so like I said, I love that last part of what Nicole said. It's a very interesting perspective, this world that she works in where maybe it hasn't always been accepted to have a home life outside of your work, and now maybe it will be, you know, more so once we're on the other side of COVID-19. So that concludes our special episode about moms and work in the time of COVID-19. I'll be honest, usually I write at the end of the episode, I like to talk about what has stuck out to me about what people have said, but I did not get to that this time and I really wanna get this episode out. I'm sure that you'll have your own takeaways from this. Maybe I'll write some of mine in the show notes. I thank you so much for listening today. I thank Kate and Nicole so much for being my guests and for talking to me so long ago at the beginning of the August is when I interviewed them. And I will be back soon with another episode. Please go visit WeBuiltThisLife.com where you can find show notes for any of the episodes. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your day and I'll see you soon. Thank you for listening today to We Built This Life. If you enjoyed the show or if you have constructive feedback, I would love it if you would leave a review on your favorite podcast player. You can also come say hi on Instagram. I'm at We Built This Life. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, please get in touch. I would love to hear from you. Have an amazing day and I'll see you soon.